Welcome to the Salt Church Podcast. We're a church that meets in the heart of Wollongong. Come and visit us on Sundays, 10am and 5pm at 275 Kira Street. We'd love to meet you. Thanks, Fee. No, it's my fault. It's, it's important to pay attention in church, <laughs> especially when you're the pastor. <laughs> Great to be here. I'm Michael, uh, lead pastor here at Salt. Uh, wonderful to have you if you're here this morning in your fresh to church, new to Wollongong, new to Salt. So welcome. Uh, I'm going to pray for us and then we're going to get into 1 Corinthians 15. Uh, I'm really looking forward to opening up this part of the Bible uh, as we hear what God has to say to us about life after death. So let's pray and ask God for help. Our great Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are the God of life, life eternal. Uh, That you have done something extraordinary in history to ensure that if we put our trust in your Son, Jesus, we'll find ourselves there. Forgiven people, people with a new hope, a new trajectory. Uh, Lord, please help us to realise these things uh, afresh this morning. Help us to respond in a way that pleases you. Help those of us who are still unsure about these things, uh, we pray for your help. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, do you want the good news or the bad news? Bad news. Which, which one do you like to hear first? I do like to hear the bad news first. I just like to get that out of the way um, and then move me on to the good news. So there's a little bit of a tip if you're bringing bad news. Um, because I figure when people say, do you want the good news or the bad news, they're really wanting to tell you there's some bad news, right? <laughs> um, but tell me the bad news, then tell me the good news. Now, when it comes to the good news of Jesus, you do need to understand some bad news first. It is essential. You won't get the good news. You won't appreciate the good news unless you get the bad news first. In fact, you won't even make sense of the good news unless you first understand the bad news. When you hear the bad news, you will realise how very, very, very good the good news is. Now, here's the bad news. The bad news, we looked at it last week. The bad news is one in one people on the face of the planet die. Death has a 100% strike rate. It is the tragedy of all tragedies. Uh, Make no mistake about that. It is our worst enemy. It makes a a mockery of our lives. It brings our lives to meaninglessness. Now, this week, uh, I spoke to an old friend. Um, We were at college together. In fact, this week was the 20th... It was our 20th reunion of us graduating from War College. So we turned up um, in the year 2000, or 99, I think it was. This is not working, is it? Uh, we graduated in uh, 2002, plus 20 years is 2022. Um, anyway, we were fresh-faced young men and women looking to go out, share the good news of Jesus, and we turned up this week looking not fresh-faced, <laughs> haggard. Um, but it was really fascinating. I, I bumped into a a mate, a good mate, Andrew, and Andrew's been a pastor for a number of years. He's been a missionary overseas. He came back to Australia a few years ago, and he decided, I need to take 18 months off leading a church. I just need to do something different. And for some reason, he chose 
be a funeral director. So it's not exactly a break. But for 12 months, he worked for this funeral company. And he told me that he, he reckons he attended over 300 funerals that year. He just saw every spectrum of life deal with death because that's the nature of death. It doesn't discriminate. And he saw just the enormous grief that people go through, the, the heartbreaking things that they do at the graveside, um, the things that they say to one another to comfort one another, the things that are set up front publicly to deal with death in all sorts of ways. And I asked him, I said, how many people stand up and say, death is the end, that's it. There is nothing beyond the grave. And he thought about it for a while, and then he said, I can't think of anyone. That's not to say that people don't believe that, they do believe that, but when it comes to the funeral, no one's confident enough to say that. There's not enough consensus in the room to conclude that's what we're thinking. Everyone, he said, at least wanted to believe there was something beyond the grave. And so funeral after funeral, he stood there. He used to be the person who spoke at the funeral. He then he stood there as a person silent and listened to this and was busting to say, Jesus is the answer. He said it actually motivated him to return to gospel ministry. I can't bear the fact that people are lost in grief, there's an answer. I want to tell people about it. The good news is Jesus has defeated death. Uh, that's why it's called the good news of the gospel. Death is not the end. God has made it possible to live beyond the grave with him in the new creation. Now, this is the gospel that saves us. Uh, we saw this last week. Now, if you missed last week, it's the first 11 chapters of 1 Corinthians 15. Have 1 Corinthians 15 open in front of you. Uh, Scan down, you'll see from verse 3, here is the the message that saves you, the message you need to cling to. Uh, Let me summarise it for you. This is the message you need to believe to be saved. This is the message that will get you to heaven. Verse 3, Christ died for our sins. He was buried... He was raised on the third day and he appeared to many people in many different places at different times. This is the historical facts. This is real. This is what it means to be saved, to believe this. Verse 2, saved from God's righteous anger if you hold firmly to it, if you believe it. If you come to Jesus and say, I acknowledge, I need you. I need to be forgiven. You've died in my place. I haven't always lived your way. Thank you that you've taken the hit for my sins, that you've been raised to life, that my sins have been dealt with, that I can now be forgiven. I recognise you as the Lord. You are saved. That's the precious, precious message that's here. And can I say, if you're in any doubt about that today, do come and talk to us. Do... Uh, write something on your connect form, come and speak to someone, or even if you're unsure, come along on Wednesday night. Uh, Fee pointed this out to us. Uh, Life is a place to explore who is Jesus, what does it mean to follow him, answer those questions, get it sorted out, so you might have that confidence beyond the grave. Now, this gospel uh, is massively precious. 
Believe this gospel and you have eternal life. Uh, change this gospel, there is no life. Uh, don't be distracted by that fan. There's dust raining down on you at this point. Uh, that's okay. You will be saved. Uh, believe this gospel, you'll have eternal life. Change this gospel and there is no eternal life. Can you see, there's a lot at stake, this is precious. Um, can you imagine one day them finding the cure for cancer? Can you imagine how precious that, that whatever it is, that cure, that, that medicine, massively precious, that will need to be protected. That will need to be administered very carefully. Um, we don't want to change that. That brings life. That's what the gospel is. But here's the thing as we move into our passage for this morning. The Corinthians had changed it. The gospel was being eroded. They drifted from the precious message of the gospel. Have a look in verse 12. It's very clear there. But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? Now, I don't think they're saying there's no resurrection at all. It was, it was common in, in uh, the Old Testament. If you were Jew, you were heavily influenced by this belief that there is a resurrection to come. There's no question on that. But I think they're saying there's no bodily resurrection. It's not a bodily resurrection. It's only a spiritual resurrection. I think uh, when you understand what they're influenced by, um, a Greek understanding of the body, it's called Gnosticism, the view that the spiritual is good and the material is evil, is bad. So you relate that to the body, the, the body is evil, the body is to be discarded, the body doesn't matter. The spirit, your soul is what matters. The body will go to the ground to stay there and the spirit will go, your spirit, your soul will go to be with the Lord. But Paul says, no, Jesus' body was real. I reckon that's why in that first 11 verses, he goes to great lengths to lay out the evidence for Jesus' bodily resurrection, that he appeared. Uh, you see it in 1 John, you see it in Luke 24, don't you? Touch me and see, we've, we're eyewitnesses, we've seen, we've heard, we've, tu- we've touched Jesus. He was real, he ate with us, he spoke with us. And it's really, really important because Jesus' bodily resurrection means we will be bodily resurrected on that last day. A bit more on that later, a bit more on that next week. But Paul says there's 10 massive consequences uh, if you don't believe these very things that we've just been talking about. Look at verse 13. If there's no resurrection from the dead, first, not even Christ has been raised. We're in serious trouble. If Christ has not been raised, that is a complete game changer. Second, our preaching is useless. We've not been giving and proclaiming the life-saving message of the world. It doesn't have that power. It will not change you. It will not bring life. Third, your faith is useless, or verse 5, it is futile. That is, you, you trusted in a saviour that cannot save you, who cannot bring you beyond the grave. He didn't defeat death, death defeated him. Fourth, the apostles are false witnesses about God. They've either been seriously misled about Jesus or worse, they're deliberately deceiving people about the resurrection of Jesus. 
Fifthly, you are still in your sins. That is huge. The penalty for sins has not been paid for. That transaction that we said took place at the cross did not take place. It's bad enough when that happens in other transactions in life, isn't it? When it regard to money, uh, this week, oh, sorry, last week, I found out that we've got, a, we've got a camper trailer that we take away with our kids camping. I found out that I thought it was insured, and it's not insured. <laughs> um, I thought I was covered, um, and I rang up to make a claim with all these storms who've had damage to the camper. Um, but I rang up, and they said, no, we've, we've got no record of your policy here. <laughs> You're not covered. Um, they were investigated. I paid two years ago, and they made an error. Uh, it's not my fault. Um, and they were gracious. They, they're going to help me out. But how much worse is it if your sins are not paid for? That is serious, isn't it? You will face God for your sins, not Christ. You're not covered. Six, those who died in Christ are lost. You can actually say goodbye to those people that trusted Jesus. You thought you were going to see them again. You're not going to see them again. They've gone to the grave, never to, never to return again. Seventh, we are to be pitied of all people. That is, you have a false hope. Uh, better to have no hope at all. You've been given something that will not deliver. It's wishful thinking. You actually need to go home today. You need to stop coming to church. You need to stop calling yourself Christian. I need to get a different job. It's that significant, isn't it? It's a hoax. Eighth, look at down in verse 29 now. Baptism for the dead doesn't make any sense. Now, this is a strange verse, isn't it? Verse 29. Um, lots of people have tried to make things out of this. Uh, it's certainly not baptism for the dead. So people were being baptised for someone who'd already died with the hope that they will affect their salvation in the future or in the, in the present. Um, so it's not something that Paul practices. It's not something the Apostle Paul approves of. Um, it's not Christian, but Paul says even that weird practice doesn't make sense. The Mormons do it. It doesn't make any sense, but it even more doesn't make any sense if there's no resurrection from the dead. I reckon even proper baptism, a right understanding of baptism doesn't make sense. Um, the kind that we're going to do in a month's time, so we're going down to Wollongong Harbour uh, end of November when the weather will surely be warmer. <laughs> And there'll be no rain. Um, so, yeah, come and, come and talk to me if you want to be baptised. If you've become a Christian in the last couple of years um, and you want to be baptised, uh, I'd love to talk to you and prepare you for that. But even baptism, you know, a right understanding of baptism, that it's a symbol of being washed, of being buried under the water with Christ and then being raised out of the water uh, like we're, we're going to be raised with Christ. Even that doesn't make any sense if Christ didn't rise from the dead. Ninth, he says, we're, we've endangered ourselves for no good reason. We've suffered. We've given our lives. This has cost us. It's all in vain. But look at the 10th one, verse 22. If the dead are not raised, here's what you should do. Eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. See, if... If there is no resurrection, it makes perfect sense 
to live for now, to cram in to this life as much as you possibly can, to live for yourself, to make yourself as happy as you can be, as comfortable as you can be, because there is nothing else to come. If there's no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised. Everything falls over. Uh, All of Christianity comes crashing down like dominoes, like a house of cards. Take the resurrection, the bodily resurrection of Jesus out, and you have nothing. Paul says we are to be pitied amongst all people. Go home. Now, if you think about it, if there is no resurrection, it has a huge effect on your morality. Paul wants to say there's a tight connection about what you believe about Jesus and his resurrection and the way that you will live morally now. It makes perfect sense. If there is no judge, if there's no life beyond the grave, why not live how you want? Why not get away with what you can? You may be good. You may want to be good for all kinds of reasons. And thank, it's so good that so many people live with that mindset, isn't it? In God's kindness. But there's no good reason to do it. It's that moment when you say to yourself, and I'm sure you've said it to yourself or you had people said to you, who's going to know? Why are you so concerned about the way you live, about your morals, your ethics at work, the way you do business? Who's going to know? God's going to know. God has saved me. God has sent Christ to die for my sins. There's a There's a life to live for him now and into eternity. It matters. Look at what what Paul says in verse 33. Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Come back to your senses as you ought and stop sinning. For there are some who are ignorant of God. I say this to your shame. See, there are people living in their community who are ignorant of Jesus, who don't realise... Jesus has died for their sins, has risen bodily, and there's a life to come. And why is it that that's the case? It's because they haven't heard it from the Corinthian church, and they certainly haven't implied it from the way they've lived. In fact, I think Paul's concern is, if I looked at your church, Corinthian church, I might have even inferred the opposite, that there is no resurrection. And I say it to your shame. I went to a, a party last night um, because parties are good. Um, Jesus went to parties. Um, you just have to choose the right parties to go to, right? You need to know when to turn up and when to go home and all that kind of thing. Um, but this party, the hosts were Christian um, and they've spoken to their friends about Jesus. Um, but you know the thing that I noticed last night Um, it's actually my friend who's Canadian. So he introduced us to Thanksgiving. If you ever get invited to a Thanksgiving, you really need to go. Uh, It's it's a lot of fun. Uh, We all go, you know, you all go around the room, you need to give thanks, uh, whether you're Christian or not. Uh, It's a tradition in Canada and America. Uh, But what was really interesting on the night was like, wow, there's people in this room who aren't followers of Jesus. Uh, the hosts are, and they've heard about Jesus from, from their friends, from the hosts. But what was really clear is that they are in no doubt 
about the way these hosts live their lives. It's just very, very obvious that they trust Jesus, they live for Jesus, uh, they have a generosity of spirit, um, they're very thankful for Jesus, but they're also thankful for a thousand other things because of what Jesus has done, to their, their, done in their lives. Very, it's very obvious to people around them that they live radically different lives, radically good lives, because of the resurrection of Jesus. They've actually uh, got different priorities. They're living for the life to come. It's so obvious. People are curious what's going on because it's deeply, deeply changed them. And I reckon it's a, it's a massive challenge for us, isn't it? Would, would someone be able to look at your life and tell there's something radically different here, radically good different, or maybe if they pressed further or spoke to you more, you believe in the resurrection of Jesus from the dead and you believe that there is a resurrection to come, an eternal life to come, and you're serious about it. You actually live like that is true. That is powerful, isn't it? That is very countercultural. And we know that being disciples of Jesus will change us in all kinds of ways. And it's interesting today to think into what would that look like to really take that seriously, to really believe that. Uh, it's, there's a thousand things, isn't there? But let me point out one thing to you. And it's a thing that Paul points out eight or seven chapters earlier. Eight chapters earlier. My maths is terrible this morning. 1 Corinthians 7. And it's your attitude to money and material things. Our culture holds on to money, lives for money, holds on to material thing, things very, very tightly. And here's what Paul says, amongst other things. 1 Corinthians 7, it's on the screen, I'll read it out for you, 29. He says, the time is short, he's talking about the, the judgment to come. From now on, those who have wives should live as if they do not. Those who mourn as if they do not. Those who are happy as if they were not. Those who buy something as if it were not theirs to keep. Those who use the things of the world as if not engrossed in them. For this world, in its present form, is passing away. It's radically different, isn't it? Do you believe that? It changes all of life. But here's the thing. The bodily resurrection of Jesus from the dead has set two irreversible things about the future in motion. Uh, here's the second half of this morning's talk. Two future certain realities are coming now that Jesus has been raised from the dead. Let me give them to you. First is, the bodily resurrection of all those who are in Christ is a certainty. That will happen. Have a look in verse 20. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who've fallen asleep. Well, look down in verse 23. But each in turn, Christ the first fruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him. It's a beautiful uh, verse, really important to get this, Jesus rose bodily from the grave and he is the first bodily resurrection of many, many more to come. And so as sure as you see Jesus' resurrection, as sure as that was a reality, all those who trust in Jesus will also be raised on that last day. Uh, that's what the first fruits means, it's a it's a, it's a farming term, it's, it's, it's the first crop. Look at that healthy, beautiful crop that's come up. It's uh, a sure sign of a massive 
harvest that is to come. So what you're seeing in Jesus' resurrection is huge, but it is one resurrection of many resurrections to come. And he goes on to explain it from another angle. And it has to do with two, the two most significant men in all of history. Who would you say they are? You've all got two people in mind. But Paul says in verse 21, it's Adam and it's Jesus. Verse 21, for, for since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. He's saying there's, there's two representative heads that we come under. The first one, the first man is Adam. The second man is Jesus. In other parts of the Bible, he's the last Adam, the perfect Adam. One man, Adam, brings death. The second man, Jesus, undoes death, brings life. Uh, We all start with Adam. We're all human. We're all made in the image of God and yet fallen and broken. We're all under the curse of Genesis chapter 3. We will all die. That's what it means to be under Adam, in Adam. But to be represented by the second man, Christ, is a choice. We opt in. We say, I'm in Christ. I trust him. I depend on him. I know him. I want to be included in him. If that's who you're represented by, you will defeat death. You'll be made alive. Because what happens to Jesus will happen to you. He was risen from the dead. So you will be risen from the dead. Very helpful analogy I was given a few years ago, which I keep coming back to, and that is the illustration of jumping on a plane. Um, So this week I'm taking a trip to Brisbane uh, it's, it's a reach Australia intensive, so they're helping us out uh, how, we, how we can grow and be a healthy church, a multiplying church. Uh, they're helping me out to be a better uh, lead pastor, so I'm going up there for an intensive. Uh, it's all about leading teams, uh, how I can better lead the staff team, how we can all be part of teams in church life to be a healthy, growing, functioning church. So I'm going up to Brisbane and, Lord willing, I will jump on a plane tomorrow morning. And here's the question. I'm going to Brisbane. Sorry, am I going to Brisbane or is the plane going to Brisbane? Uh, We're actually both going, right? But the plane and the pilot are doing all the work, aren't they? I have no capacity to get myself to Brisbane, certainly not in that time frame. I could try and walk, but I don't think I'd make it. It's the plane that gets me to the destination, isn't it? What do I need to do? I need to step on the plane. I need to trust the plane. I need to trust the pilot. And when I do, there is a massive benefit for me, isn't it? I go where the plane goes. And that's the same for Jesus. When you trust Jesus, what happens to Jesus happens to you. He's done all the work. He's died for your sins. He rose 2,000 years ago. If you trust in him, if you step into Jesus, you are forgiven and you will rise on that last day with a resurrected body, never to die again. That's the guarantee. As sure as it happened to Jesus, it will happen to you. That's your certain future reality. There's the first one. You will rise if you're in Christ. The second future certainty 
is the destruction of death itself. The great enemy of every human being will finally be destroyed for all time. Look at verse 24. Then the end will come when when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father after he's destroyed all dominion, authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For he has put everything under his feet. Now when it says that everything has been put under him, it is clear that this does not include God himself, who put everything under Christ. When he has done this, then the Son himself will be made subject to him who put everything under him, so that God may be all in all. Because of Jesus' resurrection, there's coming a day where there will be no more death, no more evil. Every enemy of God will be destroyed, will be dealt with. Satan and his demons will be in hell. All Christ's enemies, all those who denied him, will go to that place, hell. And death itself, our, our, our fiercest enemy, will die, will be destroyed. And so there will be no more rerun of Genesis chapter 3. A beautiful world with, with, with God uh, and us relating in love to one another and to him, ruined because of sin and Satan. Satan won't be hovering around on the outskirts of the new heaven and earth. You'll have no fear of sin, no fear of death. It will never, ever enter again. It would be so awful if that was the case, wouldn't it? But what a relief, what, a, what, a, what, a, what security, what safety that Jesus has achieved this once and for all, death defeated. Everything in its proper place under Jesus Christ. And Jesus will sit finally under God the Father for all eternity and we will share with Jesus um, the joy of living endless days under the Father. As it says in Revelation 21, there'll be no more death, no more crying, no more pain, for the old order of things will be forgotten. What an awesome day. How good is it, that last day, where there'll be no more funerals, no more coffins, no more loss, grief, no more graves, no more sickness, no more sin, no more death. God will be all in all, which means God will be king. God's rule will be finally and eternally uncontested. What a great day that will be. Can you see how massive the bodily resurrection of Jesus is? Can you see what enormous hope comes from that Can you see how that changes everything Can you see how devastating it is that the corinthians said hang on there is no bodily resurrection of the dead that has massive implications for life if you're a disciple of jesus as we finish up this morning and you know these things you must speak of these things to a world that needs hope You mustn't remain silent to a world that is grieving, lost, hopeless, a world that's in fear of death, facing sickness, caught up in sin, facing the judgment of God, scared of death, not knowing what to say at funerals. You must speak and you must live in such a way that that speaks of these great things. And it really is a radical game changer, isn't it, to believe in these things? To have that rock-solid confidence that I will be raised on the last day 
means I can suffer now. I can go through all kinds of things now knowing that is my end goal. That's where it'll all end up well in the end. I can take risks for Jesus now. I can give up myself, my life, for the sake of others. I can be generous now. I don't have to be tight-fisted with the good gifts that God's given me. Because there is a life to come. Paul says, to live is Christ, to die is gain. So, I reckon it's so important for us to hear these things because we live in a culture that is so, we're so affluent, we're so me-focused, aren't we? It's all about my life, me being satisfied, me being happy. But do you live a life that's shaped by the resurrection to come? That's the big question for this morning. If you're a disciple of Jesus, are you prepared to risk life and limb, fight against the lure of pleasure, knowing that there is eternity to come? It affects everything, doesn't it? Uh, I was speaking, uh, I don't recommend you do this, but I was speaking to a friend who was calculating how much money he'd given to gospel work across his life. He reckons he could have bought several holiday houses. Um, Don't do those sums. (laughs) But that's just radical, isn't it? Why would you do that? Why not buy the holiday houses? Why not become wealthier? Uh, why Why do people give up income? to do gospel ministry. Um, Why do they make these choices? It's because of the resurrection to come. The future changes the way we live now. It changes the way you think about sickness and death. I reckon it changes the way you think about ageing. Have you thought much about this? I thought about this this week as our reunion took place. You don't need to pretend that you're someone younger. (laughs) Uh, You are getting older... Your body is getting weaker. Uh, You may be facing some health issues. Don't panic. Jesus has dealt with it. You are getting a new body. I know it's easy to say that glibly, but you really are going to have to lean on that when you face, when you don't look like you did when you were 21. Um, When you face a health crisis... It's also radically going to change the way you think about justice. You're going to fight for justice. You're going to rightly demand justice for yourself or for others. But Jesus will execute the ultimate justice in the end. It'll affect the way you deal with evil. It'll affect the way you grieve a brother or sister who's lost, who is in Christ. You will see them again. There is a great reunion to come. The reunion this week was a picture of the great reunion to come. And I just can't imagine how awesome it's going to be because the reunion was fantastic. To be with brothers and sisters, so united, so joined together in love, well, that's, that's a pale, pale picture of the reunion to come. It'll, it'll help you deal with people who are lost, who died not in Christ, assured that God is the God of perfect justice and perfect mercy. He never gets it wrong. You will not be disappointed with his judgments on the last day. You'll be praising him. I reckon it'll give you an energy, a priority for the work of the Lord. We'll talk about that in a couple of weeks' time. 
But let me finish with, if you're not yet a disciple of Jesus, if you're still working these things out, can I really encourage you to work it out, uh, to think on these things, to get help with these things? It's not a nothing claim, is it? You really do need to work out whether this is true. You really do need to work out, is the evidence for this real? Um, Come along, as I said, on Wednesday night to life or come and grab one of us to talk it through because it's of massive consequence. It's of such massive uh, consequence that I would like someone to explain it to me otherwise because it would radically change my life. Who do you think, here's the most important question in the world, who do you think Jesus was and who do you think Jesus is? I'm going to pray for us. Our great Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the confidence we can have in the life eternal, that you will raise us up with new bodies on that last day because of faith in Christ, because of what Christ has done. He's died for our sins. He's been raised. He's appeared. Our sin has been dealt with. You've conquered death. Father, thank you for the hope. Thank you for the radical transformation, that, the radical difference that makes to our lives now. Father, help us to set our eyes again on Jesus and eternal things uh, this day. And Lord, we do pray for those amongst us who are thinking these things through. Help help them as they explore who Jesus was, who Jesus is. And we pray it for your glory. Amen.